What's Better Today and welcome to the Leadership Advantage podcast by Dr. John Kenworthy. The Leadership Advantage isn't some magic pill or silver bullet to instant success as a leader, but I'm sharing the art and neuroscience of hacking expert leadership to unstuck your potential in life and work. Hey there, and welcome to this edition of the Leadership Advantage podcast with me, John Kay. And I'm continuing our series on the secrets of being an exceptional presenter. And I'm continuing also with getting to know your audience. This is the second part, the O and the W. Last time we looked at K and N. This is O and W, opinion and who. I didn't recognise the number, but I was expecting a call and thus began another five-minute rude interruption. We all get them. We all hate them. And yet companies persist in using telemarketing and tired sales scripts. And this one was especially bad. It was somebody trying to sell me a meeting arrangement service using LinkedIn. Essentially, they would trawl LinkedIn for, their words, hot prospects and arrange a meeting with them for me. I wasn't interested and informed them, but this one was persistent and was unwilling to let me escape. On and on she talked. Didn't want to know anything at all about me, my needs, my business, my opinion on cold call telemarketing, anything about me at all. She was interested in getting through her script, presumably to earn a paycheck. I gave up being polite and I cut the call. I've often wondered if any of such calls ever achieve their goal. See, I'm yet to meet anyone who relishes receiving cold calls. Purely speculative scattergun. And yet so many of my clients complain of meetings and presentations that they willingly attend where the presenter is concerned only with getting through their script. In spite of the audience's wants, needs, opinions and preferences. Okay, perhaps willingly is a stretch, grudgingly, then. You'll recall in our last episode we discussed what your audience already knows and what they need to know. And how you, as the presenter, need to make sure that you identify your 10% that they really must take away. This time, we're looking at the audience's opinion and who they are. So let's talk about what is their opinion. I worked uh, for a client a little recently where the country manager was having problems with the local leadership team. Technically, the individuals were all brilliant and excellent. They just didn't get along together very well. 
There was quite a bit of a power play going on and interdepartment blaming and rivalry was rife. Essentially, they weren't playing well together. And like a football team that doesn't support each other well, they were getting thrashed by the competition. As is often the case in such situations, the team members thought rather negatively about all this soft, fluffy stuff and that the problem lay with the company's processes and other departments, not their team, and certainly not something any coach could fix. They weren't quite ready to instantly change their behaviour. Well, at least until the other party admitted that they were wrong and changed first. And sometimes it's personal. It's not your role they disagree with, it's you. In these politically correct days, nobody says what they think, but they sure do think it. Maybe they prefer a female. Maybe you need to be Asian to understand the local culture. Maybe you should be an engineer. Maybe the way you dressed is deemed as threatening. Even with a non-hostile audience, you want to know what they think about you and your topic before deciding how to approach your presentation. So what do they think of you and your topic? I was enjoying my new position, installing computerised tills and stock control systems throughout the entire central London pub estate for Chef and Brewer. My boss was a great guy and everything was going brilliantly well until he got replaced by an arrogant, opinionated know-it-all, who, quite frankly, understood nothing about computerisation and worse, hated the idea of it. Uh, This was the late 1980s, by the way, and my new boss was determined to halt the technological advance at all costs. Within a month, I felt like Sisyphus, pushing the computerisation agenda up an increasingly steep hill and soon to be crushed by the backlash. I hadn't had time to build any real influence, nor win any significant political allies in the organisation, and my colleagues soon joined my new boss in undermining and stalling progress. My personal credibility hadn't been established securely enough and without it, I was going to struggle to overcome the logical and the emotional resistance that I was convinced were at the root of the problem. It was Aristotle who noted that there were three key forms of resistance in an audience. He called them ethos, pathos and logos. The character or credible appeal or something of someone is the ethos. Pathos is the emotional appeal and Logos the logical argument. And it's often difficult to distinguish whether it is you, your credibility, your ethos, or your topic, the emotional appeal of what you're asking people to do, or the logical argument. Certainly, your personality colours your opinions about the topic, but when you are on the inside, it always feels personal. To give your case the best possible chance of success, you need to establish credibility with your audience, present your logical argument and appeal to their emotions. 
That is, you need to win their hearts and minds. Notice the word win, because in every presentation, yours is just one more voice contending to be heard and acted upon. People do resist change, and any time that you are presenting, you are instigating change. All of your audience members, and you, share three basic human needs. The need to have a positive self-image, the need to belong, and the need to be right. When your argument makes the audience feel that you are picking them out as non-compliant, wrong, or simply for being different, then your argument falls on deaf ears. So to ensure that your argument stands a chance of being accepted, you need to know what they think of you and what they think of your topic. And the easiest way to do that is to ask them. I didn't understand all this back in the late 1980s in London. I just bulldozed my project through as best I could. And 15 months later, I was generously made redundant the day I installed the last pub in the in-state. But who are they? Who is this audience? At this point, you know what your audience knows and what they need to know. You've got a handle on their opinion. And remember that they need to be right. They need to belong. And you will be encouraging their positive self-image. But you recall the saying, it's not what you know, but who you know. Well, in this section, we'll cover two parts of who are they. It's stakeholder mapping and action types. Let's start with stakeholder mapping. Stakeholder mapping is a, is a useful tool for any situation where you're trying to win over your audience. So stakeholder or audience mapping, as I tend to call it, uses a simple two by two matrix with low to high power on the vertical axis and low to high interest across the horizontal. On the show notes, I've got a little diagram that shows you the four quadrants that you end up with. On the left-hand side, at the bottom left corner, we have the monitor group, people with low power and low interest. We invest minimal effort, but with regular minimal contact. As their interest increases, but their power stays roughly the same, you just keep those people informed, showing consideration. They are potential supporters and you want their goodwill. When somebody is powerful, but they're not really interested in what you're talking about, you want to be engaging them and consulting them on their interest and making sure you meet their needs. You're keeping these people satisfied. And then at the top right of this quadrant, you've got high power people with a lot of interest. You, these are the people you focus on. This is the group that you manage closely. These are the key players and the focus of your attention. What you want to do is consider the specific individual members of your audience and place them on the grid relative to each other. Include, where appropriate, stakeholders who might not be personally present 
but sending a representative, otherwise known as a spy. Your focus in your presentation are those individuals who are most interested in your topic and have the power to affect the change that you desire. When you're preparing a sales presentation, for example, it pays to know who is the key decision maker. That makes them powerful and the most interested. And it's not always the same person. I often find myself presenting to greatly interested people with little power. And the person with the actual power isn't even in the room. I think of this as a gatekeeping presentation. And once we're through the gate, I have a chance to pitch to the person with the power. Once you have a clear idea about the power and interest in the room, it's time to establish how you call those four different audience types to action. It's Nancy Duarte who says that there are four audience types, each requiring a slightly different call to action. These are doers, suppliers, influencers and innovators. A doer in your audience is someone who would instigate activities. You should be asking them to assemble, make decisions, to gather, respond or to attempt. A supplier audience member is a person who controls resources. You ask them to acquire, to fund, to support or provide resources. And then there's the influencers in your audience. These people change perceptions. You want to ask them to activate, to convert, empower or promote. And lastly, innovators in your audience. These people generate ideas to add value and potentially spread your ideas. You ask them to create, discover, invent or pioneer all action verbs. How do you call to action if you don't know their type? Intuitively, you can see that these four audience types make sense. People tend to fit in one of the four. When you know your audience well and have experience presenting to them before, it's relatively easy to pin them down to a particular type. But there will be times when you just don't know them well enough. In such a situation, make sure to sow those key action verbs throughout your presentation, noting who responds to each, usually shown through greater attentiveness, a smile, a nod. <laughs> They're simply paying attention. Note also any of the verbs that appear to fall on deaf ears. You might not, for example, have any innovators in the room. Above all, be sure to establish the audience type for the most powerful, interested stakeholder and focus on getting the right call to action to them. Of course, all of this is completely moot if you don't actually have a call to action. Your call to action for this episode is to identify your audience. Map them on a simple power interest grid and work out, if you can their audience type. I use post-its on a whiteboard, real or a virtual whiteboard, to help me in planning. And once I've identified the key stakeholders, 
those with high power and high interest, I take a little longer to get to find out what they know and specifically what they need to know and take a little extra effort to understand their opinion and create a call to action that will activate them to fund the resources we need to make the change they need. I hope that you really enjoyed this episode and will share some highlights with the people you care about most. My team and I are working on a series of exciting new projects in this art and neuroscience of hacking expert leadership to unstuff your true potential in life and work. To learn more, visit leadershipadvantage.com or just search for Dr. John Kenworthy and connect with him.